As we can see on the screen, page 1175. In our church Bibles, this uh, passage is entitled, Unity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. And God will bless the reading of his word. Uh, you, you may want to have Ephesians 4 in front of you. We're going to be uh, looking at this passage again. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to serve Jesus in the Spirit. I've uh, been doing a little kind of mini-series these last few weeks, and I've been impressing upon us something which the Lord has been impressing on my heart, in that these are the days of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter was at Pentecost giving that famous sermon, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So on young and old men and women, God is pouring out His Spirit. These are the last days. Jesus is returning. And Peter emphasizes that the Lord is communicating with His church. And so what we've been doing in this series is looking, first of all, at seeing Jesus in the Spirit. And you may remember we looked at Revelation chapter 1, where John got this marvelous vision of the exalted Christ. 
And although we may not get those kind of visions, it is good for us to read that vision and to encourage our hearts that we serve the exalted Jesus. He is sovereign. And so as we seek the Holy Spirit and ask Him to fill us, he, we will be able to see things in the Spirit that maybe we don't normally see. And this is the starting point of discipleship, having a vision of Jesus. And we need to keep renewing and refreshing that vision because we can be so easily distracted by the world. We can find so easily that our vision of the exalted Christ can be watered down by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sin dampens our enthusiasm for Jesus. Sin distracts us with trivia and leads us away from the one thing necessary. So we want to see Jesus in the Spirit. That's the beginning of discipleship. So we need to keep praying, Lord, I want to see Jesus afresh in His power and His glory. I want to see You with spiritual eyes that are renewed by Your Spirit. And then secondly, we saw last week that we need to keep hearing Jesus in the Spirit. When Jesus left this earth, His voice is no longer uh, physically audible, but He has given us His Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 and verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Another version has it, it is for your advantage that I go away. You see, when Jesus walked on earth, He was in one place at one time. Now the ascended Christ has given us His Spirit, and the Spirit of Jesus is everywhere, and He is ministering the gifts of Jesus to us. Jesus said, it is better that I go, because when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine, and He will make it known to you. The Spirit, as we saw last week, is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside us. And the Spirit of Jesus loves to communicate with our spirit. Last week, I quoted, the Holy Spirit is the one who fellowships with us, who gives us connectedness with God on the inside. The deepest part of us is connected to the deepest part of God in the Spirit. And so Jesus continues to speak into His church day by day in the application of His authoritative Word. So we see Jesus in the Spirit, and we begin a life of worship and discipleship. We hear from Jesus each day as we come to our Good Shepherd and we say, Lord, what are you saying to me today through your Word? And then this morning I want us thirdly to see that we are to serve Jesus in the Spirit. And I have three points for us. First of all, in verses 7 to 10, we see that Jesus gives grace gifts to His church. He gives grace gifts to His church. Now, we're very used to using the word grace in salvation. We say we are saved by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But Paul, in this sense in Ephesians, is, is not using grace in that way. He's using grace in terms of serving, not saved, but serving. Just as salvation is a gift of God, so serving Him is also done via the grace of God. 
Jesus gives gifts or graces to his church. Instead of the word grace, there we could say gifts. He gives grace gifts to his church. It comes from above. And it is the decision and the discernment of Jesus by his Spirit what gift we get. Like salvation, our grace gift is not earned, it is a gift. And the Spirit is the one who mediates or communicates the gift to us. John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians 4 says this, saving grace which saves sinners is given to all who believe. But what might be termed service grace, the grace which equips people to serve, is given in differing degrees according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we are all saved by grace, and it is through that grace that Christ equips His church. And he gives each one gifts. As Paul is building his case, he refers to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is about someone who conquers, who's the victorious king, and they are returning. And he takes Psalm 68, he puts a slight twist to it, and he uses it to refer to Jesus. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus has ascended on high. He's now ascended at the right hand of the throne of God. And from that position, He is distributing gifts to His church through the Holy Spirit. We often talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But actually, more correctly, they are the gifts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to His church. They are gifts of Jesus mediated or distributed or given out by the Spirit. I like the uh, Eugene Peterson's message version of this passage. It says this, out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. Jesus climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and he seized the plunder and he handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below. He filled heaven with his gifts. He filled earth with his gifts. So first of all, Paul is saying that Jesus gives grace gifts to his church. He delights to give gifts. He's the gift giver. Secondly, as we move into verses 11 and 12, we see that Jesus works through people to equip the body of Christ for ministry, to equip the church for ministry. So in verses 11 and 12, he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Jesus gave gifts to people to build up the body of Christ to maturity. Now, verses 11 and 12 are well known, but they're also quite controversial. Is Paul setting out here a new structure of leadership for the church? In other words, should each church have officially designated apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? 
People say, well, if that's the case, it's very strange because surely apostles and prophets are no longer applicable to us today. Apostles were ones who saw Jesus, who witnessed Jesus, the 12 disciples, uh, plus Paul, who was sort of abnormally born, he would say. Uh, so Paul was, saw Jesus in a way. So those are the apostles, capital A. And then the prophets are the prophets of the Old Testament, surely, and they do not apply today. So we don't have apostles and prophets. So no, Paul is not setting out a new structure for the church. Or was Paul suggesting that the spirit of the apostles and the spirit of the prophets the evangelists and so on, continues today into his church. What did Paul mean by these verses? Whenever you read all that Paul wrote about gifts, and he wrote a lot about gifts, he lists gifts in four different places, or three or four different places. The three main places are in Ephesians, in Romans, and 1 Corinthians. And the lists are quite random and usually in no particular order. But the overall point he, he keeps making is that the gifts are diverse, We need the spread of the gifts to make a church healthy. And while some gifts might be more prominent and more visible, like teaching, ultimately we need all the gifts, and even the gifts that seem more hidden or less visible are actually quite vital to help a church be healthy. We are meant to honor one another. We are all meant to contribute to the church body. Now, in two places where he does list uh, the gifts, he does give a certain form of priority to apostles and prophets. Here in Ephesians, he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then when you move into 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 and 28, he says, now you are the body of Christ, each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and of helping and of guidance and different kinds of tongues and so on. So I don't want this to be too technical, but it seems to me that as Paul is writing about the church and writing about the health of the church, I think, and I've prayed a lot about this week, this is my take on this, is that what I think Paul is saying to the church is that while we don't any longer have the capital A apostles, like the 12 disciples, they had a a unique foundational ministry. And while we don't have the prophets capital P like we had in the Old Testament, like Isaiah and Elijah and Ezekiel and and Jeremiah and so on, while we don't have those kind of prophets today, they, they in a sense are foundational. The church today still needs the spirit of those kind of people. And that God in giving gifts to his church has certain we could call them equipping gifts. An apostolic gift is the gift of someone who is a pioneer, someone who receives a message from God and who sees a a kind of a frontier where the the gospel can be preached, which hasn't been preached before in that place. It's an apostolic spirit. It's a sending spirit. It's going out. It's pioneering. A prophetic spirit is someone who takes the Word of God, and we saw this last week, who hears from God and applies it to a certain situation. And what I think Paul is saying here is that while we don't have apostles, capital A, who have a unique authority, while we don't have those kind of apostles, those kind of prophets who spoke, thus says the Lord, 
we can have something of that spirit in the church. Alan Hirsch, in his books on this, makes a very strong point. I think he overdoes it, where he says that every church needs to have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And I think he overdoes it a bit, but I think he's right in that the spirit of that is needed to make a healthy church. If the church does not have those who are constantly pioneering and and, and pushing the church out beyond its comfort zone, if the church does not have people who are prophetically speaking and applying God's Word into the church situation and into the world, if the church does not have evangelists who are taking God's Word and speaking the gospel faithfully, if a church does not have pastors who are nurturing and caring for the sheep, if a church does not have teachers who are constantly teaching the word of truth and helping people to avoid error, a church will not be healthy. It needs these five aspects of ministry, of equipping ministry, to be present in a church. And I think what has happened over the years and as the church has matured and grown, in one sense it has defaulted to the pastor's teachers, and we have lost something of the spirit of the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. And what happens is that the church then becomes a bit stale and inward-looking. And so I take this, Paul not formally setting up a new structure, the, the eldership structure, the leadership structure was elders, bishops, overseers. But here I think, and he mentions it twice, I think he's saying a church can still have this spirit in it and should have this spirit in it. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, apostles are referred to and prophets are referred to outside of the capital A apostles and capital P prophets. So I think Paul is saying, yes, there is room for these kind of, of people who are especially equipped by God as gifts to his church. That's my, my cut on it. Speak to me afterwards if you disagree. The Reformation 500 years ago or whatever it was broke through a lot of this in in terms of the clerical clergy people divide. It sort of said, no, everyone can be in ministry, the priesthood of all believers, that you don't need a priest. You don't need a minister to pray for you. You can pray directly to God through Jesus. He's the mediator. You do not need a priest. But the development of the priesthood of all believers, I still think, has to come, in that the the body ministry is really released into ministry, that people really discover Ephesians 4, and we find that the body is released with the gifts that God has given to every member. So while we have apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, whatever, shepherds, these people are meant to, to equip the body for ministry Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. The majority of the ministry is to be done by the people, by the body. Yet so often what we find in churches is that those who are considered the leaders, whether they're apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, are viewed as the ones who are especially gifted. Those are the ones who are to do the work of ministry. And Paul says, no. Yes, they have a special place, but they are to equip God's people for works of service and ministry in the Spirit. Craig Blomberg Blomberg says this, the Bible suggests that determining 
and then faithfully using one's spiritual gift is the next most important task in a Christian's life after conversion. Let me say that again. The Bible suggests that determining and then faithfully using one's spiritual gift is the next most important task in a Christian's life after conversion. And I would say amen to that. That once you're saved, you are saved to serve. And what do you serve with? You serve with the gift that God has for you. And it is a tragedy in the church if people in the church are saying, well, I don't know what my gift is. Because I believe that God by His Spirit reveals His gift to you or gifts. He he makes it very clear, and He'll make it clear through Scripture. He'll make it clear through training. He'll make it clear through other people's input as to where you are gifted and what you can do to help build up the body of Christ. John Stott says, here is incontrovertible evidence that the New Testament envisages ministry not as the prerogative of a clerical elite, but the privileged calling of all the people of God. And too often in churches, the body of Christ is willing to sit back and cheer on the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But they themselves say, well, they're doing the work of ministry. We'll just cheer them on. We'll pay them whatever, whatever it takes. But Paul says, no. They have a role, but it is to equip the saints. It is to equip the body of Christ. So Jesus works through people to equip the church, the body of Christ, for ministry. And so today, at the end of this sermon, I hope that you're saying to yourself, look, Jesus has saved me. Jesus has saved me for a purpose. It is to serve Him, and it is to serve Him with the gift or gifts that He has given to me. And it's a tragedy if you go out that door every week and you do not know what the gift or gift for ministry is. It's a tragedy because it is so important. And why is it important? Because thirdly and finally, in verses 13 to 16, as we are equipped and serve with those gifts, we grow in maturity and we strengthen the church. So the converse of that is, if you are a Christian and you do not know what your gift is, you will not grow in maturity and you will not strengthen the church. This is why this is so vital and so key and so important. Sometimes people ask, what are the marks of a successful church? People may visit us today and say, well, you have a full church. This is a successful church. And to an extent, having all the pews filled is is a, a mark of success in some respect, better than an empty church building. Are we successful because the church building is full? Are we successful if we see people coming to faith, if week by week we hear of people who are converted? Well, yes, I think that's a measure of success. But a far more important test of a church is what we've been looking at over these Sundays. I think a church is truly successful when the individual members of that church body are seeing Jesus, are hearing from Jesus, and are serving Jesus in the Spirit. That is the mark of a successful church. 
When you're playing a sport, and usually sports that have something to do with either a, a racket or a, a golf club or a, a cricket bat, there's something known as the sweet spot. Uh, when I'm playing golf, usually I don't hit the sweet spot. Uh, but, the, but there's a point on the golf club where when the ball connects with the club and it's just on that, it's called the sweet spot because the ball will fly further. And the other interesting thing about the sweet spot is whenever you hit a ball in the sweet spot, it's effortless. You don't feel it. When I miss the ball and miss the sweet spot, I feel a judder in my hands. Those of you who are, play tennis or, or even cricket, which apparently is a sport, Even a cricket bat has a sweet spot. In fact, it's one or two different kinds of sweet spots depending on the sort of shot that you want to play. And ministry has a sweet spot. And the sweet spot of ministry is whenever the word is preached, when the word is taken by apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and then it is received by the body. And then when the body does something with it, when they seek to discover, well, what is my gift? And then they serve in the Spirit in that gift. Then a church hits the sweet spot. And it's effortless. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. It is a beautiful thing to witness. That is the sweet spot of ministry that Paul is preaching about here. He says that Jesus ascended on high, and He gives grace gifts to His church. Very generous. He gives grace gifts to His church. And as we receive those grace gifts through certain people with a spirit of apostle, prophet, shepherd, evangelist, teacher, He encourages the body. He builds up the body, and He encourages them to go and find out what their gift is. And then as they find their gift, as they use their gift, they grow in maturity themselves, they bless other people, they strengthen the body. Someone said a pastor's job is to help people to be productive with their own work and to serve with the gifts given by the Spirit. I want to close with going back to Eugene Peterson and again his summary of this passage. It's again very effective. He says, he handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work. Working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son. Fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. I love that where he says, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily, it's like a dance, the dance of the Spirit within the church. And then we're fully developed within and without, and we are fully alive like Christ. That's the sweet spot. So let's aim for it. Shall we pray? Let's pray. And Lord, by Your Spirit, just as we wait in Your presence today, there may be some folk and they're just not sure what their gift is. Uh, and I would pray that even now and maybe later through prayer ministry or in the weeks ahead, that Lord, You would give them a sense, that You would speak to them, 
that you would say, here's the gift I have for you, and that they would willingly take it, receive it, and put it to work to build up the church. So, Lord, I pray as you're handing out gifts, your grace gifts to the church, I pray that the church here would be alert and awake and asking, what does he have for me? It might be a speaking gift, it might be a serving gift, it might be a behind-the-scenes gift of administration or something, it might be a healing gift, it might be a singing gift. What's the gift you have for me, Holy Spirit? And then, Lord, help us to be obedient, to take it, to use it, to give thanks for it, and to bless others through it. And all for your glory, all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.